Episode 153, everyone, of Eventually Super Train. I am your main host, Dan. How are you doing today? I hope all is well as this is uh, coming out. We are about two-thirds of the way into the summer of 2023. It's a little warm outside, but not as warm as I thought it would be. That's my weather report with love from me to you. And what's going on in this episode? Oh, by the way, we're the short-lived TV show, a short-lived TV show podcast. We covered short-lived TV shows that never got enough love. Eventually, we will cover Super Train. And in this one, we are saying good... No, we're saying hello. You say goodbye. I say... I'm not going to do Beatles references the whole time. Jeez, I won't let you down. Okay? I'm sorry. I forgot where I was for a second. Uh, I need a little help. Let me get back uh, to where I, uh, I, I once was there. And... Um, we are, what are we doing? Yeah, we're beginning a brand new show this time around. And we're going to start off the chatter with uh, Amanda and myself, the great Amanda Ray is myself, discussing season two, episode three, the penultimate episode of Lucan. I forget the name of it. The Creature from Beyond the Door, I believe. I've actually <laughs> misplaced my DVDs. Uh, so I know it's directed by Vic Morrow. But I'll be darned if I can remember who wrote it. I'm going to see if I can find it online. If not, I'll, I'll give it to you from the credits next time when I find the um, find the discs again. Uh, but yeah, it's season two, episode uh, two, three of, of, of Luke Han. And then episode seven of Galactica 1980. And then episode one of The Brand New Old Show with a, a special guest. And I, I will say this, uh, starting off here, and I'll probably mention it again, the special guest who joins me for this episode may not be on there for every episode uh the the show i'm talking about uh is one and in the next episode i'll talk more about this one where there are a few really big fans of it and unfortunately i could not get them to join me and it's a kind of show where um i think you either really love it or you just kind of sit there kind of bored after a couple of episodes so so i will have a guest on this episode but i don't know that i'll have a guest on every episode for the brand new old show beginning at the end of this episode and here we go now Luke and Ty. Luke and the Creature Beyond the Door. This one originally aired November 27, 1978. Again, directed by Vic Morrow. Uh, now, now, IMDb has the writers Larry Alexander and Robert Speck. Those are the writers, but one of them was the teleplay. One of them was the story. Maybe both of them were the teleplay. I, I don't have my DVD. I'll get back to you next time. But it was Larry Alexander and it was Robert Speck. And you know what? I'll be honest. Um, the, uh, the write-up in uh, IMDb actually sums it up better than my rambling could. So I'm going to thank whoever wrote this in IMDb. But this is the, the long and the short of it. An eccentric millionaire holds Lucan hostage to acquire Dr. Hoagland's newly developed antidote for hallucinogenic poisoning to cure his drug-addled son. Actually, that, that gives a lot of it away. Actually, now that I read that, I could have probably done that better. But that's it. That's, that's the basic, that's the long and the short of it. He's held hostage. Well, he's not held hostage. He, he's originally taken in by this guy who says, I, you might be my son. But then it turns out there's something else going on. And there's someone screaming on this estate and whatever. Amanda and I talk about it a lot. 
and so I'm going to I'm going to play you some of that. And I, w- I will say one thing when you're going into listen, Amanda and I we had a long discussion about our high school years in this. It actually lasted for about 25 minutes. I've removed the discussion because as fun as it was, it had nothing to do with Lucan. If you'd like to hear it. I could certainly add it on later, but I did my best to re- remove it and remove any reference to. But if you hear a reference to like what we were talking about and 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 being in high school or anything like that, and you're intrigued, you know, give me a shout. You know, maybe I'll post. Maybe I'll post the same. I hope I removed it all, but uh, I may not have. I need a nap. I'm so tired. I haven't slept a wink. I'm so tired. My mind is on the Lucan. Season 2, Episode 3, The Creature Beyond the Door. The penultimate episode, yes, I know, it is sad, of Lucan. And as always, I have here with me the great, the wonderful, Amanda Reyes. Amanda, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing okay. I'm ready. I just bumped my microphone, which is great. Uh, congratulations uh, for me on doing that. And um, but I'm doing okay. I'm I'm, I'm ready to discuss uh, this episode. I guess let's dive right in. Let's not dilly dally or uh, or shilly shally. What did okay. you think? What did you think of the creature beyond the door, Zagor? Well, it's beyond the door, sir. I think one of the most interesting things about this episode was that a I didn't realize it was directed by Vic Morrow. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which blew my mind. <laughs> and I don't know what his directing career looks like, but okay. And B, William Smithers played Stockwood. And what's his character's name on Dallas? I just dropped my... Oh, yeah. He's the he's the really... Jeremy easily, Wendell. He's Wendell. the guy who always kind of sli- kind of slightly best JR. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, yeah. he... Does he always slightly best? Uh, he, he, well, well, he has the, the there. There's the one season I forget which one it is where it ends with him owning Ewing Oil, and the season ends with Jr. and John Ross Jr. having to leave the offices, and like I think <laughs> I think they take um, Jock's po- portrait off the wall and they leave, and Jeremy Wendell is sitting at his desk. So that's the cliffhanger for one of and, the seasons. Yeah. And is Mary Lee Stone there at all? Because she shows up sometimes. Sometimes she's, she's scary a little drunk. to me. Yeah, she is a little. <laughs> I like her a lot, but she's scary. I, she's I, like she's like an early hard body. Like like yeah. she's she's like an early bodybuilding kind yes. of like you didn't see actresses built like that in the eighties. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. more like and she looked great, but like she was buff. Yeah. And and you're like, oh man, she's gonna mess up Jr. so bad. <laughs> she is. She is. Yeah. Yeah, Wendell was a little smaller compared to her, but he, uh, <laughs> but he, he, he didn't win all the time. But he was, he, he did win semi definitively at that moment, and he was always one of those guys who you always felt might be Jr. You know, when, when, um, when, uh, uh, what's his name? Um, uh, why am I forgetting his Cliff? Cliff, yes. When Cliff was kind of bumbling around with his brain damage, you were a little unsure what he was going to do. <laughs> But but Wendell was always always seemed like the really kind of cautious, calm, studied version of Cliff, um, without the uh, brain damage or reliance on a Lander sister, and so he um so so he always felt like that. Like I said, he does really sort of win that one time, and other times he gets very close, or he's just like he he doesn't so much lose as he's just kind of like like a Doctor Doom kind of thing, where it's like I'll be back. Yeah, yeah, he so. he had a really interesting persona, and so whenever mm. he was so good as Jeremy Wendell that whenever I see him in anything, mm. 
I'm like, oh, man, dude's a sleaze bucket. It's just going to happen. And <laughs> yeah. I think in one episode of Quincy, he's like a doctor who plays tennis. And, like, that's all he does. And I'm like, what a sleaze bag. <laughs> well, he's good at, you know, that character. Yeah, it's, and it's funny because this episode actually has, like, the three main guys. What is it? Sawyer, the character Smithers plays, and the other lawyery guy. They're all, like, the three of the, like, kind of like, oh, this guy kind of guys working in Hollywood at that time where you see them and you go, ugh, you can't decide who's going to be the bad guy because it could be any of them. That's right. But I always know it's going to be William Smithers. In the end. In I just, the end, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I know it. So um, anyway, so yeah, I was I was shocked to see that Vic Morrow directed it. I thought no. it had some really interesting finesse to it, but not like the early episodes like we saw with Sutton Raleigh where he was yeah. like taking like crazy camera angles and mm-hmm. kind of creating... Like, I don't know how to explain how Sutton Raleigh makes things, but he's making characters out of images and not yeah. just out of characters, you know. Here, I don't think Vic Morrow's doing that, but it is really stylish. And I remember this episode from the first run because I really like the estate Yes. that they filmed it on. And there's this great scene with um, um, Amos Colfax's daughter, uh, Hattie, which is a very spinstery name for a woman who's not a spinster. Yes, and, yeah. and she's standing on, in this one space, and Lucan finds her. And she, I don't know if they're on a balcony or somewhere else, but she says, this is my favorite place. Mm-hmm. And it's got these, like, yellow tiles mm-hmm. and white. It's really beautiful. They're yeah. outdoors, and it's like, it's like it, where is this? This lo- is, like, the most it, amazing thing I've ever seen. It looks a bit like the sort of the Getty um, house on oh, PCH, yeah. that, that, yeah, that one there. spot right there. Yeah, that, that's yeah. what that reminded me of, that, that spot. Although that's the Getty home there uh, on PCH. Ooh, yeah. yeah, maybe it was. Yeah, it's really beautiful. And so I liked a lot of stuff about it. I really liked some of the camera work when they're introducing the son, the Colfax mm-hmm. kid that yeah. like is a drug addict supposedly. And um, I feel <laughs> like, I feel like uh, they shoot it like it's a horror movie. They do. Mm-hmm. And you're just waiting for like it to be a horror movie. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting that it's not. That title does Actually, it too. You think. Yeah. 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 You're expecting like kind of a werewolf creature or something, you know? And, um, and you, what you get is like this kind of like, kid that got lost in the hippie movement and they got exploited for whatever reason. And we can talk about that, but like, um, and, and he, the act, that actor was quite good actually in the role, because I feel like that's a part that could have been ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. That could have been handled. Yeah. yeah, And I think he handled it very well. So I really like this episode. I think it's kind of enigmatic and it's odd. It's a little frustrating at the end because we don't see the kid recover. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's frustrating because I wanted to kind of see like the bond. Yeah. You know, thing happened between him and the dad because the show is all about that but um but yeah i thought it was really fun i really like this one i um i the 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 problem the problem i have with it is that um i made that rule some time ago that i was putting a moratorium on watching episodes about rich people who sort of rule the land and the thing is since then we've had a galactica 1980 that had a factory that did that in the town where the uh, the factory was polluting everything, but the people in the town wanted their jobs so bad that everyone in the town was willing to do whatever to stop people from getting interfering with the plant. And so when this started off, and I saw he was at the estate, and the old dad comes out and talks to him like he's nothing, I thought, oh God, <laughs> why can't why can't I get away from these types of episodes? And unfortunately, that did kind of taint the episode a bit for me. Um, cause that, that got on my nerves. I found the, um, now what are the names? Is the dad Colfax? 
His name is Colfax. I can't okay. remember the son's name. It's Hattie Colfax. Yes. He might be yeah, Steve, the okay. kid. Mm-hmm. I like Steve. Let's go with Steve. Okay. So, so Colfax, yeah, Colfax has that. And, and it's funny because you see Colfax in that opening scene and, and – um, and there's just this this great moment. I don't I don't know if they this it made me laugh, and I don't know if it's I I I, I want to say it was kind of me- meant to make you smile because there there were a couple moments in here with the writing where I think they they play with the sort of yeah we know this is cliched but um, we're diddling around with it a bit. For example, the way they do like when 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 um the way they shoot the stuff with the sun like it's kind of like out of the Night Stalker. Or something like that, yeah. when he rushes at him at the commercial break, or or when uh, Kolchak, when um when Lucan is walking down the halls, and it's almost like it almost feels like a cat in a canary, like old dark house kind of thing. The yeah. way the set is and the way it looks, apart from the guards, but it looks like you could almost like see like if it was the middle of the night and there was a storm and there were curtains blowing out in the hallway, Lucan running down the hallway or something like that. So it has a has a nice evocative feel when it leaves sort of the main rooms, which kind of look like standard. I've not been in a lot of big mansions, but standard big mansion rooms. Although although one of the big mansion rooms does have the best thing ever, a hidden elevator. Um, but uh, we could talk about that later. Um, but the the moment the um, the dad, uh, Mr. Colfax, there, so so he comes down the steps. And he starts to talk to Lucan, um, and uh, you know, um, and Lucan, and, and 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 you're the wolf boy, and da 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 da. Yes, um, uh, you you brought me here. Do you think? Can you help me find my parents? Well, ah! <laughs> you hear this horrible scream. <laughs> And it's like, what was that? And the dad is like, um, oh, that was nothing. <laughs> We're going to run some tests on you. And I thought, was that meant to be a joke? Was that meant to be a laugh? Just the way there's this pause and, can you help me find my parents? Scream! And then it's like, what? Okay, so, so there's nothing, there's nothing shady going on here. And then, um, it's, it's, uh, there, there's some, there's some, uh, there, there's some bits. I, I think it's kind of a half and half episode. I, I liked some of it. I liked the what the heck is to who the heck. I mean, you figure out pretty early that it's the son, um, but but why is he screaming? What's going on? Um, there's some good, um, uh, some nice moments uh, between uh, the the daughter and 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 um, Lucan and and uh, but there are also some moments like Lucan escapes from this huge estate. Uh, presumably somewhere up a hill in the middle of nowhere, he runs across the one like street that leads up to the estate, hops a wall and runs into the forest. The moment he does that, Prentice comes around the corner in his car. Come on, <laughs> please, really? Um, and then there was—I did love the elevator though. Um, and and there, it, it is kind of disappointing that in the end. It isn't like, um, oh, well, we'll just give him this injection and he'll be cured. It was, well, how does he get cured? I just don't give it to him for a couple days. Okay, well, that'll happen. And uh, so so it's kind of a slightly, it's it's kind of an interesting, um, what the bad guy is doing to the, the son. It, it's kind of interesting the way he's doing it because it assumes that the bad guy knows he'll be there forever. Because it's something he has to administer every day. And um, and I just I yeah and and I would have liked to have seen a, a scene in the end with like the son being okay and like oh dad I'm okay now my son my beautiful son well it's, uh, it's such an interesting though like because we were talking about how the show is about families and building mm-hmm. families and and this one is about like the abandonment of family mm-hmm. and then 
So like so like the whole point of the kid's original drug addiction was I think growing up with a rich father who was kind of aloof. And there's also a theme that we're going to see in the last couple episodes that I love about this idea of freedom. Mm -hmm. And, and so he kind of goes out to do his thing and he ends up kind of messing up like a lot of rich kids do when they don't know what it's like on the outside. And he comes back, straightens up his act. And then all of a sudden he's on drugs again, which is not unusual, right? If you're addicted to um, drugs and we find out that, um, this other guy who works at the house, uh, Stockton, I think is his name, played by William Smith or Stockton, oh, I'm sorry, yeah. you know, had had sort of taken him under his wing and taken him on like he was his son, mm-hmm. you know, and and I like the idea of that. So like Stockwood was actually building this family with this kid, but then when he was able to like kind of come to his own into his own and kind of beat the drug addiction, he went back to his father, his real father, uh-huh. and that was so much for Stockwood that he had to like make him insane yes to keep him and 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 i thought that that was such a fascinating idea in the show when we're talking about family building and so we're talking about like what happens when you abandon families and what happens when you try to build a family Mm -hmm. that's not like the quote-unquote normative family right and so it's doing a lot of interesting things i think in the subtext maybe it's not fully realized but i was really struck by this idea of it is there yeah Yeah. Mm And and there's an interesting. Uh, well, I found interesting too the difference between the super rich person in the previous episode, the one with the baby, and this one. Yeah. Because yeah. it's implied that the super rich person in the previous episode, she her family's been rich for generations, and she doesn't do anything but sit around and be rich. Whereas the um uh the the dad in this one, I don't exactly know what he does, but it's, it's implied the way he keeps talking about what are you going to do, live a life. I do love that moment when they're at dinner. And um and uh and Luke Ed says he wants to be free and he immediately goes into what do you want to do hang around with tramps and bums and dress like them and do drugs and it's like wow someone's um there's a little projection going on here I think there may be something <laughs> a lot of else yeah. there must be something else going on here but but I, I I like the sort of difference in that the the rich woman who's been rich all her life and her family was rich and rich and rich and rich um she knows everything that's happening. Whereas this guy, who I presume built his own empire from the ground up, delegates stuff. So if he was in the position that the woman was in in the previous episode, none of this would have happened. Because he would have known exactly what was going on with his son. And he would have been, he would have been lording it like in control of everything. So none of this would have happened. But this is a different kind of rich guy. So in delegating, he's delegated out his... Parenthood, almost. Oh yeah. To to to, yeah. to Smithers, and in doing so, Smithers turns out to be a kind of bad dad, controlling in a way that the rich dad is, but um, but in a more unpleasant <laughs> oh, way. A really a really dysfunctional, like yes, like, like if Amos Colfax was dysfunctional. Yeah, the Smithers character. That's a whole. That's that's like a yeah, Jungian, Freudian yeah, like book in the making. Like how you like one case study, you know. But it it speaks to like a lot of different things about like what you're what you do when you've been abandoned and mm-hmm. stuff. You know, they both react in like pretty awful ways. Reactionary. Yeah. Yeah. They're very mm-hmm. reactionary to this kid that they're sort of. And it's interesting because Colfax doesn't even know that he's in a struggle for this kid's love. Yes. Yeah. No. You not know? at all. He 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 thinks he's in complete control. But yeah. yeah. But all this stuff is happening. But also, I, also, I like that Colfax also isn't like so. 
Um, Celeste Holm played the rich woman in the You yes. Can't Have My Baby or whatever episode that was. <laughs> don't Touch My Baby or yeah, whatever. Yeah, Don't Touch My Baby Ever Again, Lady, <laughs> is the title. And and she's not a – there's nothing redeemable about that character. No, and Celeste no. Holm's great in the part. She's like the real shining moment of that episode. Mm-hmm. But uh, Barry Sullivan, who plays Amos Colfax, he's very gray. Like mm-hmm. there are things about him that are – very bad, but I think there's things about him that are good too. And at the end, he ends up being not a bad person. You know yes. what I mean? And there and there are moments like when he treats, you know, he basically kidnaps Lucan under the pretense that we might be father and son, and you don't believe that for one moment. Um, and and uh, which is, I mean, pretty standard, right, for a show like this? I mean, at this yeah. point now, the Incredible Hulk is running, so we have like the other main guy wandering around trying to find something and never finding it and almost finding it and that, that kind of thing, getting adventures around the world. Although I will say, if Dr. Hoagland is able to keep in such close contact with Lucan, I feel like Lucan's just kind of circling the university. I don't really... I sometimes don't get the feel that he's really going too far away from the university. If Dr. Hoagland could just come out and meet him like in almost every episode. yeah, He's not traversing the world. Or Dr. Hoagland's got a lot of free time and that's a hell of an expense report. He's yeah, raking up. Maybe he's just taking vacation time. He being there, being adjunct or whatever, tenure for forty years. He's got like oodles of, or maybe he went a sabbatical. That's true. And yeah, part yeah. of his sabbatical, he just chases the can around. Yeah, he could. Now I am looking at the thing right now where they're they're standing in that beautiful place with all the tile, and I can actually see a city beyond them. So I don't think that's the Getty because I think the Getty's okay. is on PCH, and I think you always you see water. Yeah, there. but so it's somewhere gorgeous up in the Hollywood Hills. Um, uh, maybe it's Harold Lloyd's estate, Green Acres. I don't know. Uh, maybe. I've never been. Um, but um, uh, I forget what I was going to say. Something, something great. And the poor. What, what did you think? What did you think of the daughter's character? The way. Um, what would you think of her? I liked Hattie. So, so I think I think what struck me most about her is this idea of freedom, because mm-hmm. Lucan can't be caged because he's I don't know how to explain it he's not an animal but like he has this he has this deeper understanding of what freedom means and freedom doesn't mean just like being Dr. Hoagland and having a job at the university freedom means going where you want when you want and roaming the and roaming not just roaming the lands but having like um control of it you yes. know what i mean like understanding the lands and stuff like this and this is total freedom for him and to be put into a cage makes him think of the time when he was taken as a little boy and mm-hmm. and put away for a while so they could figure out what to do with him and so he has this very deep understanding of what freedom means and he talks to her about it and she has no idea what freedom means because her dad is so rich that he's worried that she'll get kidnapped which is not an un uh thoughtful thing yeah. for which people to have i don't know what the word is there but like you know that has happened the Lindbergh mm. baby right so like mm. like it's lots of the you know you're always hearing about kidnapping plots for rich people and their kids and so um so colfax kind of keeps her in a different kind of cage you know and she yeah. can go out mm-hmm. but she can only go out if she's with these men that protect the property mm-hmm. and and for her it's okay because this is her life experience and so when Lucan talks to her, it's almost like they're speaking two different languages yes, about yeah. freedom. And I find it really fascinating. And I think it drove home this idea 
of um, how important freedom is to him. And this is a theme that's starting to emerge and had the show been able to yeah. continue, I think they would have gone deeper into this. I think the, I mean, the absolute joy to me of the previous episode, Brother Wolf is those moments when he's out with the wolf in the woods yeah. and there's no, there's no worry, you know, the, um, and they, they get, I mean, the, the, the joy of that too is that they've got a nearby forest fire, which gives them even more sort of privacy and freedom there to roam around yeah. and here and here it's like it doesn't matter if you have an estate the size of rhode island if there are huge walls and huge you know shrub you know three foot high shrub things and guards standing everywhere shrub things and guards standing everywhere it's not gonna <laughs> you know it's that that's not that's not freedom as much mm-hmm. um as much as you and i mean and that's the thing with hattie she's grown up with that and that's what she's known well you know it's it's not like Dad's always l- exactly looking over her shoulder. I'm sure there are plenty of places on that estate where she can go, where she has absolute freedom and, and privacy. That that um, but it's still it's still enclosed. It's still yeah. in the world. Yeah. And and I think that kind of explains the sun a little bit because what happens when you bring people up in like these petri dishes, and like and keep them totally locked away from the world, mm-hmm. and and then and then all of a sudden you set them out there. And they're allowed to experience things, but their boundaries are like are like kind of shady at this point yeah. because like yeah. they've never been around. Like if you go to high school at a regular school or even probably a private school, mm-hmm. um, you're creating like a kind of a microcosm of like society, and yeah. and there are going to be people who do good things, there's going to be people who do bad things, and then you that's your choice to make the decision of what to do. And these are in your formative years, so you're starting to learn about where your morals are, right? Mm-hmm. And and but when you're like a young adult who's Gone, kind of gotten past all those formative years like inside this little kind of glass cage what happens when you go out there and there's good and bad people and and you haven't had that experience yet to like make these decisions and and then the problems that the bad people do like the things that the, the I don't know problems is the right word the things that the bad people do are going to get worse and worse right yes, down the line mm-hmm. and so like it's not like it's not like just like um, we're going to throw a baseball into this person's yard and then not go get it yeah you know what I mean or whatever it- and, and so, like, he has to start making these, like, very adult decisions without the adult, ex- any ex- childhood experience to give him, to inform him. Mm-hmm. And so I think that maybe the conversation that he has with Hattie is actually informing us about Steve as well. Yeah. And I think overall the episode, it, it moves nicely. It's never, you know, the camera never seems to be in the wrong place. He knows what he's doing. He does little things like when, um, uh, I, th- um, I want to. I want to say. Uh, I forget. Is I think he's talking. Is it what he's talking to? Where where the 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 dad there um, is talking to? I think uh, Hoagland, and they're like in front of the house or something like that. And then I think as it like, and the limo pulls away with Hoagland or whoever he's talking to in it, and you get kind of this low angle shot looking up at the dad as he's standing in front of these huge doors of the house behind him and he looks huge and the doors look huge and the, the, yeah, yeah. The little these little moments in there and it's not like you said it's not like the the Sutton Raleigh um stuff where um it's more it's more stylish it's it's frankly more interesting but that does occasionally draw attention to itself whereas here that doesn't really happen yeah also and it's it's pretty straightforward another interesting piece of trivia is Amos Colfax was played by Barry Sullivan and Hattie Colfax was played by his real life daughter Jenny Sullivan oh I didn't know that I she didn't know like that a, either she looks like Kristen Wiig She's she's really cute. She um I I was looking at her IMDb page and she did a Love American style with a then unknown Harrison Ford. 
Oh, wow. And, love, love, love. And you probably know her best as playing Mark Singer's backstabbing girlfriend in V. Do you remember the news reporter? <laughs> yes. Yeah, oh, yes. That betrays yeah, him to right. become yeah. friendly with the visitors. Yeah, yeah, yeah that wasn't her. good. That wasn't good that she did that. No, but yeah. she's a really good actress. Mm. Yeah, the... Um... Yeah, she she is she is very good, and I, I like like you said there there is um that that wonderful scene where the two of them are talking in the different the different forms of freedom, and that, I I like that that that's sort of um that could have been a theme in the show different different variations of freedom. Now it might have been annoying to see Lucan wind up in this every week, but it would still been interesting. Yeah, but there, I think I think maybe the idea of freedom. So if there if if Zagor, the creator of the show, Michael Zagor, was actually <laughs> yeah, if he was actually really kind of, and I'm guessing he was thinking up themes for the show that made the show so um, impressionable on people when it originally aired. If he started with family, I think this idea of maybe being forced to kind of change the premise, which is that story we projected onto him that like, yeah. oh, you're going to cancel your show. So you better do something. He's like, Oh, I'll have yeah. a murder. And so yeah. like, um, but then, but then why not start incorporating this theme of freedom? Yeah. And so, yeah. and here he's kind of, it's a hybrid of the two mm-hmm. and I, I love it. I think it's really amazing. Yeah, and and because in the Lucans there there's really been like I said earlier there's really been a feeling like Lucan's gone very far. Occasionally there is an episode where you feel like he's gone some distance, but it's sort of like 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 I've said before like with BJ and the Bear it doesn't really matter where he goes in the US. It's always like within 20 miles of Los Angeles. Yeah. And and this sort of has that a bit too where where he's um he's not wandering too far from a certain spot except occasionally when he does. Well, I think he goes to Texas in the Lost Boys. He does go to yes, yes. I think he doesn't he go to the Pacific Northwest or near near there and one. He goes somewhere. Episode? I'm trying to think where the One Punch Wolfson takes place because it's very urban. Oh, yeah, but that's I right. think Chicago it's, is that Chicago? It's or? somewhere outside of California. Detroit. Yeah, yeah but or, I can't yeah. remember where. Mm-hmm. And uh, I th- I think it's it's funny. I've got it playing here now, and another kind of thing, the um that kind of shows the difference between the the rich people in this one and the previous Don't Touch My Baby uh, episode is um is just the fact that this this goofball idea of bringing in Dr. Hoagland who ki- kidnapping Lucan to bring in Dr. Hoagland who is experimenting with a drug yeah. that may help with hallucinogen that doesn't help yet that in fact kills more monkeys than it helps to use that on his son <laughs> when he's supposed to have access to the best doctors around means that he's delegated that he's probably given that to smithers there and smithers is like and he's since he's the one who's actually causing the trouble he he's like oh this guy's got this drug that doesn't we don't think works yet but we're gonna bring him in and that should calm the old guy down and you know rather than actually maybe like uh uh the, the dad like maybe doing it himself and trying to like let me see these doctors well, you're bringing in. It also makes you wonder what was Stockwood going to do because he doesn't want yeah. the kid dead. He just wants yeah, him there. So like, and it seemed like, well, if we, it seemed like he fought a little, but maybe not hard enough for somebody who was like had a lot invested in, in this kid surviving. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, all I can think of is maybe maybe he's at the Stockwood's characters maybe at the point where he's he's sort of gone, kind of gone round the bend, and where he's like, this will either. The, the the old man has put all his hopes in this being the cure and it will it won't cure him because he's not on hallucinogenics so it will either sort of not cure him in quotes or maybe kill him and maybe he could be at the point where he's like well that's the chance I'm going to take 
Because like if if he if he gives him the shot of it and it doesn't work, the old man will be like, "Oh, nothing's going to help my son." And if it kills him, he's going to be, "I killed my son." And he can have the um, you know, Stockwood can have the joy of being like, "Ha ha, that old jerk." Uh, but but uh, it's sort of um, I don't know if I'm making any sense when I say that, but I I could try to clarify. But it's it's just sort of like he's at the point where doing this will maybe bring some sort of closure to the dad who's like if the dad thinks this is it if the dad thinks this is it and i mean who knows maybe 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 um maybe he would have been given the injection and stockwood would have stopped giving him the stuff you know and then in a couple days it would have looked like the injection worked but then if the injection killed him well that's a chance i have to take to keep my you know to keep my son and to keep this old guy happy or to keep this old guy like kind of out of my hair Sort of, but uh, <laughs> but Stockwood Stockwood doesn't seem to be quite that crazy. But he could be. He could be at the point where I'll do whatever I have to to keep this 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 kid under my wing. Yeah, and, and, and if I have just, to kill him, well, so be it. He probably just got so far over his head that he was just like, yeah, exactly. okay, I just kind of have to let this go where it's going to go. We're going to see what happens. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, what else do you have on this? I, the, the only one other thing I want to talk about is uh, just briefly Hoagland and Prentice. Oh, I love Prentice. Uh, who are who are not as much fun as uh, Nimoy and McLeod. McLeod, Gavin McLeod <laughs> is McLeod. <laughs> Leonard and Nimoy is Spock. Spock I don't know. I really, I, I another one of the regrets I have about this show not continuing is that I love Prentice because he's such a complex uh-huh. character because yeah. he he like he will come to Lucan's aid. But he's also like trying to like capture this guy and put him in prison. Like throw away the key, you know. And yeah. it and it's and it's interesting. And also, Prentice has a pretty good idea of what's right and what's wrong. And so I feel like in the next episode we can talk about that a little because I think that yeah. gets fleshed out a little bit more. But like, um, he's he's compelling because because like he can tell when somebody's trying to pull the wool over his eyes, and he's not afraid of confrontation. But at the same yeah. time, he's sort of the nemesis. But but he's not the he's not just some like cold blooded mercenary looking for this kid because he's got a bounty on his head. It's he has other reasons apparently, yeah. you know. And um and that but he also has this kind of moral code that's really interesting to me. And so that's one of the unfortunate things about the show not continuing because yeah. you can see they're getting deeper and deeper into this idea. Yes. That, you know. Yeah, and and the the thing I like with I I think. I think in my heart, I think Prentice knows that Lucan didn't do it. Yeah, I do too. But he's a professional man, and he has to bring, and he has to let the the wheels of justice turn and do their thing. And but I also think he's doing kind of a thing that he's done several times now, where it's like, um, well, we know Lucan is here. Okay, well, I'm gonna go get him. No, no, no. What we have to do is we have to do this, and then we have to do this, and then we have to do this. And then I'll get him. Yeah, knowing full well that by the time all those things are done, Lucan's going to be long gone, running over the hill. Yeah. Like, eh, he's out of Almost like, okay, you know, you know, I'm, I'm getting paid to catch him, and so far no one's coming after me going, you got to get him today. They're just saying, go get him. So if he wants to escape today, if we can help this young man and draw this family a bit closer, he can escape today. But tomorrow I have to get him. Tomorrow. So, so after tomorrow, I have a really good nap. Him. 
and and that doesn't really work for him either. But um, you know, if uh, if the next episode is taken as tomorrow, I don't know. You know, if if Luke had become huge, they would have had like a comic series and novels and things that would have filled in the gaps. So this, you know, this novel takes place between, you know, the creature from beyond the door and the gold, Thunder God Gold. <laughs> um, and uh, we, you know, we would all be going to Lucan Con, dressing up like Lucan. I guess I'd be dressing up like Dr. Hoagland now, unfortunately. <laughs> I could still maybe pull off Lucan. Um, I think you but could. I you, go to you've Smithers. got the wardrobe. You just said it's you true. did. <laughs> it's true. It's true. That's right. I'm halfway there. I'm halfway there. I just let my hair grow out a bit. Yeah. Um, who, I don't know who I would go as. I feel like I would want to go as Prentice mm-hmm. or um, maybe one of the women characters, but I, I don't know mm. we, Celeste Holm because I definitely like to wield <laughs> some power over people. Yes, that would be fun. Yeah. But, like, um, I can't really think of any other character. Maybe the old lady. In the in the lost oh no I would go as I would go as Diana Mulder in the one where she's oh yeah might be his mom I've got the dress yeah. I've got the dress or um or um or who who uh the first the pilot who was in the pilot oh um, Stalker Channing structured Stalker Channing yeah yeah I'd go as Stalker Channing yeah but I go as Stalker Channing from the girl most likely to oh sure yeah I go as Elijah Cook Jr. from the previous episode <laughs> and I'd have a dog named Fleabag with me. There, so it's all set. Oh my God! Yeah. We, there needs to be a Lucan, a Lucan Con, Lucan, Lucan, As if, as if people can't see. Yeah, a couple of people get his name. They don't call him Lucan in this, or oh, however you pronounce his name. <laughs> now I'm getting goofed up. But they, Lucan, Lucan, and um, but oh my God, oh, Lucan. We, we forgot to mention in the in the in the flashback. Wasn't that Boner from, uh, what's that show called? Uh, growing, pains. growing pains. Yeah, yeah. that was boner. It could be. Yeah. It was, and he was in Bloody Birthday, which we just mentioned. So yes, yeah, yep. There you go. There you go. Uh, what uh, what what do you got going on? What can you tell us about this 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 episode? Will be going up in about a week. Okay. Um, I can tell you, I'm I'm apologizing for all of that talk that we had in the middle, <laughs> and I guess the only thing because I think last time I was on your show we talked about Fun City Editions Primetime Panic Two yes. that's out yeah. now, so yeah. we can get it. I think it's Incident at Alcrest Ridge, The Death of Richie, and the movie I did the commentary for, which is called The Seduction of Gina, which is a gambling addiction movie that's really good. Um, they're all made for TV, and also I worked on something called I can't remember the name of the set, but it's the Black Emmanuel box set that came oh, yeah, out. Oh yeah, the sensual world of Black Emmanuel. I did some work on that, like some copy editing and, and a little bit of image sourcing and stuff like that for the booklet. And I also did a commentary for um, the workout video oh, with God. Eric Freefall from um, uh, the Continues. Yeah, we got together and we talked about leotards. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, that's got to be fun with Eric. Yeah, I we had a good time. That's pretty awesome, yeah. So, and that's available. And I think that's it for what I know of that's out, that's been announced. Oh. Okay, thank you, thank you so much for joining me for this because we all got to take deep breaths, folks. The next episode, Thunder God Gold, is the last episode <laughs> of Lucan. Deep breaths, deep breaths, and uh, we are actually going to go from here to. Actually, I don't know what we're going to. Oh, we're going to Galactica. We're, where are we going? Oh, the Cylons are about about to invade Halloween. Listen to this. <laughs>
Galactica 1980, The Night the Cylons Landed, directed by Sigmund Neufeld Jr., written by Glennie Larson, April 13th, 1980. In this one, it's uh, it's around Halloween, and a um, uh, Cylon raiding ship, a new one, kind of um, uh, uh, is, is approaching the Galactica, and it gets shot down, and it crashes on Earth, I think somewhere in the vicinity of New York City, if I remember correctly. And two of the five crew on board, a regular good old-fashioned Centurion and a, a humanoid-looking Cylon, um, uh, basically are able to to get free. And Troy and Dylan head from fly across the country, and I think they're in the California, right, or something, L.A. area. And they fly to the New York City area at, at Halloween time to try to uh, intercept the Cylons. But basically... Um, uh, the 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 ship crashed so they can no longer use their equipment to contact their other ships and say hey we're on earth so they have to try to ca- catch them and find them before they can get to any sort of uh, equipment or anything to send um you know uh, signals back to the cylon fleet and uh the the episode ends in a cliffhanger um with with Troy and Dylan trying arriving at the site where the cylons are and trying to f- I forget what they're up to. They leave the site, try to find the Cylons, and the Cylon and the humanoid one and the Centurion are in the car with a a couple going to a costume party who are quite bemused at the lovely uh, uh, costumes that the gentlemen are wearing. And the episode kind of ends there. So presumably the next episode will be in a Halloween party. But I know what's going to happen in a moment after I go, dat, dat, Christopher Bly and I talking all the way. Here we go. Bam. Episode 7, Galactica 1980, The Night the Cylons Landed, Part 1. And I am here, as always, with the great Mr. Christopher Bly, sir. How are you today? Pretty good, and it looks like we're back with uh, a certain enemy and oh, wow. a holiday that once was popularized by Paul Lind. Yeah! <laughs> oh, what a special day that was. I want to be a trucker. You you sure do, Paul. You sure do. Um, so this is this is um, this the Cylons are now the Cylons have obviously they had their presence felt three episodes ago when they shot down the school ship, um, but in this one they we are the Cylons are officially back and they've evolved, uh, which we'll talk about. Um, but but um, I guess first, uh, sir, what um, what did you what did you think of the return of the Cylons? Well, we've got the energetic Stu Phillips score back. Yes. We've got we've got a lot of like lasers and ups and downs and everything else. Not as much of a rebel fleet. I feel like we had one ship against a whole bunch. You know, like mm. like I said, everything is too big for these guys. For some reason, the Cylons always have everything too big. <laughs> They're big outfits. They're big mm. ships. Some of them don't fire at it the same way as other things. So we have this one where uh, we get a uh, Fagocarb. Uh, uh, mm. Alert! Yes. Finally, like we get some of the things that say like, "Hey, maybe we can round these Galactica fans back up with what made the show exciting and mm. some action." There's some bringing back the villains and you know, other things. We're and for like maybe the first quarter, it's looking that way. You know, it's yeah. like, "Oh man, we're gonna kind of get back and some excitement and everything." And that was my son. No, it's, no, that was my son in this one. We have two different, different. Um, uh, universe on that one, a different time too as well. But the Cylon Theater and it's just merging, and now we're back with the kids. And uh, and here's an interesting thing: it did another forecasting of the future. 
Our two main individuals here are going through a communicator, talking while a movie is going on. Jeez, doesn't that the sound oh, yeah. like when we have the cell phones now? <laughs> at this one, it's like, boy, they just saw that from a mile away. I'll tell you, seeing the future. Again, I feel like every episode we've gone through, despite its kind of averageness, actually foresaw something that would actually happen. You know, it's strange, but this was one of those episodes that, for that moment, had that. You know, mm-hmm. And um, now we have a different uh, officer this time around because we don't have uh, the other guy that was on there that I said was the poor man's Bradford Dillman. No, this time we have another officer on board, and it's Reverend Snow from Three's Company. <laughs> yes. Mm. Yeah. And so we have that, and then uh, from that point, you know, it's uh, it's weird because they go through the uh, Griffith uh, uh Griffith Observatory, mm-hmm. and they have a map of the universe, or like the world, or something like that. Well, if you look at the lighting on that, it kind of looks a bit suggestive. <laughs> because you, you see one part of it, you don't see the other part of it that looks like the end of the paper. It's kind of dark upstairs, so it's like, if you guys were to put the sensors in, I think you put it in the wrong place for your network <laughs> standards here. Surprise standards and practices that walk in on the basis of that, you know, that one. So... <laughs> So basically, and also, too, it's like now these guys, they have to go. uh, They have a forecasting of because they were up there, the Cylons are now approaching Earth with a special ship. Mm -hmm. And out of that, we also see these two, quote unquote, humans that have a high silver helmet. And I believe that's they're thinking that that's the evolution of uh, the Cylons. Yes. And it's kind of taking human form mm-hmm. of sorts, you know, not as good as human form as the invaders. Great show. But um, but it's taken on a human form that actually requires a big helmet when it comes to their transport. Yeah, I guess we could. I guess we had that distinguish that from automaton on that case. But um, but basically, they said, well, this thing is headed our way and they figure their calculations think that it's going to go into New York. So instead of them disappearing and going across the country, they uh, end up flying mm. uh, on an airplane. By the way, TWA got a lot of sponsor exposure <laughs> on this one. Let me tell you, a lot of TWA in this one here. Mm-hmm. And it's like the airplane is, uh, once again, we, uh, and also, too, it's like, oh, you know, you know, it's very hard to have a baby. Of course, you can see the bad looping on a metal detector <laughs> yes. when it comes to, like, you know, because they were worried. And they brought up something very scientifically interesting, saying, well, our thing is carbonated synthetic, so... It would never run alert to a metal detector. Never knew that. That was actually a pretty yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, that it was, was cool. like yeah. throw in there on that one. Mm-hmm. So of course you get the guys like, oh, yeah, it's hard to get the, a baby now. At first I thought you put the baby through the, the metal detector <laughs> and like the little uh, X-ray thing. Mm-hmm. Not the case. No. But um, but then of course we find out that it's not really a baby that they've had on board, and they've it's once again mirroring current events when we've had the the team that needs the financing. We had the uh, the. The uh, power plant that should not be, well, we had to fit hijacking somewhere amongst the mix here. But it's only handled for a little bit because uh, our fellas actually find a way from the beginning to actually escape that possibility. Mm-hmm. Not to mention, now we can see the knockout, uh, 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 the knockout um, lasers there doing their job mm-hmm. with these guys, not using uh, too much of uh, metallic... Uh, bulletry or whatever the weapons that they call it almost looked like they used like a like a rod from something that you hang out your clothes on yeah. metal <laughs> didn't really look like a gun but I guess you know they they had to do what they can like I said budget cuts mm-hmm. you know as, as the show has basically been full of so 
basically uh, like they hint at the the evolution of silence and show part of it, and then uh, basically um, the uh, basically we do finally get after been non-communicative a couple episodes ago with nothing to say, the computerizes voices return. Like I said, it's like one of those things of like we demand certain things of our show to actually get better. Here's the things that we got to bring up. And I think that they started requiring their Cylon list to be filled. And in mm-hmm. this one, mm-hmm. it's like the commuterized voice by your command. Mm-hmm. But now we have kind of like, I, I don't know if it's basically that the new guy that they brought in that presumes to be kind of like the Cylon leader mm-hmm. in human form. Not exactly uh, Baltar. Yeah. Not exactly uh, uh, um, uh, Perius leader. But basically, we got this guy that's basically, I don't know, kind of like if Dr. Smith got serious. Because (laughs) basically, all I look about is like he's not goofy, but he says like, no, if you listen to my voice only and take my commands only, we should be safe. This is kind of like what this guy is basically operating as. Mm -hmm. I don't think we were ever given a name there. I'm not sure if there was. I don't remember either. I, I... It's it's to- totally gone past me on mm-hmm. this one. We got a second and they, part. They, they, and they you know like they, they're known as centurions, mm-hmm. not so much Cylons, but yes. centurions for some reason. Unless that's the name of the one. Now the thing that gets me is they go to New York, they get a cab. Mm-hmm. Now once again, another thing that we learn about Galactica 1980 is the the uh, the pool of missed opportunities. We mentioned it a couple of episodes ago that said like well you could have linked. Uh, if it was on NBC, you could have linked Chips in here, mm. and it could have been a great crossover. I mean, maybe you could have even included BJ and the Bear at some point with that, too. You know, if if uh, so duty Lynn Clyde, being that they were in kind of like, you know, woods country. Mm-hmm. But, um, but here, I say, okay, you're in New York, according to their standards, and you have a taxi. Now... You mean to tell me you couldn't get yeah. any one of the taxi crew in there, like a, a Tony Danza or a, uh, ah. or, or better yet, Christopher Lloyd, who would have fit this so well, mm-hmm. because it would have been, you guys would never believe what I just saw. <laughs> you guys from another world. I was coming over here. I mean, I thought I was, I thought I was streaming. No, nope. no, my cab. They landed it. They told me we're from another planet, another spaceship. Outside, maybe it might have been for Mars. Yeah, something like that would have been such a great crossover because like mm-hmm. you're on ABC. You, at that time, <laughs> they weren't switched over to the other network. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said you were at ABC. The show was going on, and yes, it's a sitcom, but sometimes sitcoms can have the same um, universe as a dramatic show. Yes, just watch Lou Grant. There you exactly. go. That's a perfect yeah. example of that one. Mm-hmm. But. Um, it was just such a missed opportunity there. So I'm like, wouldn't have been so fun? Because then you would have gotten the viewers in there. It would have been cross-sectioning, synergy. And mm-hmm. not only that, but also, like I said, you would have said, hey, maybe we're finally getting the show out of the dead and bringing it some life. I mean, first yeah. quarter of it, it did. Because you, you brought the silence back into verbalage. And you've actually brought it into some action. Mm-hmm. And say, oh, the, the, the doom of the Cylons coming to the Earth. And what else they could do there? And just yeah, And once again... New York also has its share of greedy sheriffs. Mm-hmm. A little, little different this time because it's like, oh, we'll get the credit. They won't, you know, as long as we keep our mouths closed mm-hmm. and not say a word, it's on our side. And, of course, uh, they get put in their place very quickly by our two main guys. Actually doing something kind of valuable, actually. Yeah. Is for yeah. once, you know, that one. And so, basically, you know, it's, you know, it's, we have, uh, what was it, uh, Mycons, you know, it's like we've got... 
Betty Micons to come over here and and come over to our little world here. Now we got all this happening, and it's all happening on Halloween. This mm-hmm. is we are told that this is now Halloween night, mm-hmm. and we've got all these things going. And yes, um, the Hardy Boys haven't exactly run into Frankenstein at this yeah. point just yet. <laughs> Or Paul Williams. No Paul Williams. Yeah, I was going to say Paul no Paul Williams. But, uh, but we do get something that could be sort of within that universe of, wow, isn't it amazing we put this person here. Uh, well, Cylons land. They crash land. Not everybody survives. But but one of them does, along with a Cylon. And sure enough, they run into a car, mm-hmm. a passing car. And sure enough, there's a clown driving. Who's that clown <laughs> driving that oh, car? Oh, well, that clown can be none other than Canon Guest Star. Once again, another Canon Guest Star comes into play. And actor extraordinaire living legend, William Daniels. Yes. <laughs> I At first, I could not believe my eyes, but I have to say the makeup job was genius. It was. This. He's a great bitchy clown. His, yep. It's, it's like. Well, I'm a clown, and I get to do this, and I get to do that. You know, so what, what, what is what? I don't want to start stop my car. You know, my car is named Kit. Is that another thing? Once again, we're forecasting St. Elsewhere again, as mm-hmm. we did a couple episodes ago with George Deloy. We're forecasting William Daniels, mm-hmm. and here once again with probably the limited script that he has, the stock has risen when you bring William Daniels into the picture. And uh, particularly where he has a great line about now we're, we're told that he's works in radio mm-hmm. and they're going to a party uh, that's led by a program director. Now, who also is on this radio what, little station of oh, sorts? The great voice of Wolf ah! yeah. yes. Like I said, these guys were ready to stack the deck. Uh-huh. <laughs> Legendary William Daniels and Wolfman Jack every once in a while kind of throwing a little bit of his yeah. uh, Jackisms into the picture. Now, a few years after this, Wolfman Jack would go on to do a Saturday morning show. Mm-hmm. Another story. That's another story. But ABC Association, that's part. Yeah. So, so basically, uh, through this whole ride. He's dealing with the fact that the Cylon is taking up the whole back. Of the, oh, there's a woman there, too. Who knows if she's posing as Elvira or some kind of, like, you know, Enchantress of the Night, because that's the way that she's dressed in this car. Basically, his date or his wife or whichever way you want to call it. Mm-hmm. He refuses that he wants to take these two, but he lets out his complaints with this wonderful program director that he talks about, particularly when it comes to his food. Particularly meatballs. Yeah. Once again, <laughs> we said this previ- on the previous episode, we got a lot of balls. We well, it's a, well, it's moving into this one where he's talking the meatballs. Now, William Daniels, in his execution, has this, he's in committed mode mm-hmm. with this, as a driving clown. I can't believe this was confirmed <laughs> as a clown car. <laughs> Amazing. But he goes, but he says, like, it's like, oh, the way that that guy does meatballs. <laughs> you know, they're, they're to the digestive track what Vita Blue is to the San Francisco Giants. A stopper. You know, like, a stopper! And, but once again, another baseball reference. Nolan Ryan was in the last one. Here we got Vita Blue, and it's a California team. You know, San Francisco Giants. we got to keep the California thing going over there, despite the fact that we're in New York. <laughs> and at one point, you know, if the episode ends up having 
a stopper of its own. We get to the midst of that and things are building up and then all of a sudden, somehow, while we're in that car with William Daniels, the lady, the humanoid Cylon, and the, the regular metallic Cylon in the back, we freeze. Yes, it's over. To be continued, very <laughs> ominously with silence, like somebody just died. Very <laughs> ominous. And now, here's the other thing, too, is like the last couple of episodes we had that extraterrestrial disclaimer. Mm-hmm. Guess what? We get it here, only in front of the faces yes. of this freeze frame on yeah. that It's just amazing to me. And it really brings it at kind of like a, well, we're ending here. Mm-hmm. Interesting. We kind of feel that there's something else going on, but we decided to end it here. Yes. I wish they brought back the guy from a couple episodes ago, the Super Scouts, who does his, huh, face when he sees that. <laughs> they just used him again. He was the guy. He was their go-to guy for random cliffhangers. <laughs> the, but, uh, that's basic, but that's basically what ends up happening. Throughout, like, we, I don't think we see the Super Scouts in any of this, I believe. I think we finally gave them a rest yes. to get back to the action here. Yeah, so yeah. We don't exactly have a multi-episode backdoor pilot going here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, well, uh, but finally we kind of get back to Galactica yes. of some kind. Exactly, yeah. We a, s- oh, I'm sorry. Of some kind. And basically where it goes from here, not sure, but I don't know if I would have frozen it there. It's like it's just kind of an odd, because it's kind of like an odd, like yeah, almost like somebody's about to blow up the earth kind of thing there. And it's just like you know, you know, it's, it's you don't have to wait till doomsday to say I love you if Elmo and Patsy yeah. taught us anything. About yeah, it's it's strange because the um, I, I really I I think I really like about sixty uh, percent or maybe two thirds of this episode. I really like, mm-hmm. but there is sort of a um. And the Super Scouts Part 1 had this, too. There's sort of a, like, this isn't quite a two-parter. But it's not quite a one-parter, either. Maybe it should have been, like, a 75-minute episode. Because it's like, the stuff on the plane is sort of like, eh, I didn't, we don't need it. Uh, and it just, it just like, when you see, when you see like the, you know, the Cylon ship is going to crash in the earth, you're like, oh my gosh, that's great. All right. But then it takes so long for it to happen. And then when it happens, they get away and our guys arrive. And like the last five minutes of these great scenes in the car with the clown and the vampire and the alien guy and the robot talking intercut with Troy and Dylan in their stolen police car. It's just like, it's, I, I, I really... I, I I I think for a story like this, you, it probably should be two parts because it's the Cylons returning. But at the same time, there's a feeling throughout portions of this episode where it's just like, it feels like filler. It mm. feel it feels like we're just kind of passing the time trying to get to the end. Of, and even like that cliffhanger, it's like just stop it here. Okay, sure. I mean, oh, but there is that great moment though. I love where the um, the the Centurion, the the robotic Cylon, is just sitting in the back quietly, and then our humanoid one says something to him, and then you just hear by your command, and yep. just like the two humans are like, what? "What? What the hell was that?" It's just a great moment where it's like the, these are like the first humans who have heard a Cylon speak, and, and it's just, like, just like I said. But you also had, like I said, to, to get this kind of to its support. 
you had William Daniels. And yes. To yeah. me, he is an MVP in just about anything he does, little, small, bad, good, mm-hmm. anything. You know, he's, I, he's one that doesn't overdo it, but mm-hmm. is just right for the sense of that, of the purpose of where why he's here. Because yeah. I, th- I think, yeah, for like the first 15 minutes or so-ish, it's going okay, but then we get to the airport stuff and the plane stuff and the hijackers, and we kind of lose it a bit. And the stuff, the stuff with the Cylons on the ship is is interesting, and the the Cylons actually get a joke where the um, the two humanoid ones are looking, trying to figure out what the um, the survival rate is, and it's something like they say. Um, you know, the chances of the Centurions, the, the, I think there are three robot Cylons mm. on there, you know, like surviving uh, 0%. And all th- and then it cuts to all three of the robot Centurions just give them to look like, what are you talking about? Kind yeah, of it's looks. like it's like they, I said, too big a ship. It's always too yes, big exactly. a ship for these guys. Everything is big to them, including yeah. their suits there. And, and, then, so. and, and then, like, intercut in between Troy and Dylan racing to New York City. I, I say racing, not really. Um, and the sidelines crashing, you know, you get the Air Force guys tracing the plane as it's, it's coming down. And then you get the cops coming at. And again, like with the what the Super Scouts, there's so many different things going on. Whereas I thought if I, I, I really I really kind of wish they could have just uh, had more actually happening with the Cylons and the guys. You know, mm. just it it just feels like a lot of just faffing around and filling in time till you get to the end of the episode. I'm hoping that the next episode, which I don't think I've ever actually seen, is going to be a joy. They're going to go to a Halloween party. It'll be wacky. Maybe not quite what one is expecting from Battlestar Galactica, but maybe mm. now we're having let's have some fun with it because this seems like it could be fun. Um, but we're hoping. But, mm. but but at the but at the same time, this this episode is like. Sixty percent of it, I'm on board with. I'm like, okay, I like where this is going. The other forty percent is like, why are we wasting? T- I mean, like the the hijacking thing and stuff, and just just that moment where they they surreptitiously pull out their guns and shoot the hijackers down. And I thought you could have left it there, but instead you have this kid come up and go, uh, stewardess, I saw these two guys had some sort of guns and they shot at them. Oh, okay, well you two are going to have to stay here. And then like Troy gives that kid a look like you little dickhead. <laughs> and, and he just he not had, such, such a super scout now is he yeah you you sit the and and i just thought why do they have to do that because now it's going to extend this and we don't want who who honestly when you saw that it was the night the cylons landed on earth or whatever the heck it's called who honestly was thinking god i hope we spend 10 minutes with them sitting <laughs> in a plane going around and around the airport in new york city waiting to land Oof. Let's now we're 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 sixth in line. All right, let's. I don't want to see them meeting up with Cylons. I want to hear that we've got another twenty minutes to landing. Who who really was doing? And to me, to me that to be honest, I I really feel like because Glenn A. Larson wrote this one. I mean, this is the what? This is the seventh episode, and he's written all of them but one. I really get the feeling like Glenn, Glenn A. Larson is sitting in a room exhausted somewhere and he's doing his best to expand this into like a hundred minute long thing over the course of two episodes but he just doesn't he doesn't have enough going on and it's just and it's too bad because the Cylons it's and the Cylons are now humanoid 
I mean, doesn't I? I have not seen the rebooted Battlestar Galactica, but isn't that one of the things in the rebooted Battlestar Galactica that the Cylons are humanoid? Yeah, I, it's like it's like you need Edward James Olmos to come in and take, yes. take care of that, you know? Yeah. But it, here it's like it's like we're trying, but like I said, it was another case of we've got as far as we can go. We're throwing everything up there, but the kitchen sink. Mm-hmm. Hey, let's um, let's um, do what we can on that. And, and the and the Cylons are sort of. And the good thing is, they, the way they have the Cylons land is it's not like Doctor Z said, where they're going to they're storming the Earth and destroying everything. Mm. It's it's this one humanoid guy and this one robot, and they're not in great shape. You know, they're mm. they're beat up by the crash, so they're on sort of the back foot here. But, but obviously, like like they said, they have to be stopped before they get to some sort of communication. I mean, I, I like that, but that's kind of it's kind of downplayed. Like they, if the Cylons get to some sort of communication device and can contact the fleet, we're going to get what Doctor Z predicted back in the first episode. Mm. So there's kind of that. But then at the same time, with the stuff on the plane and the stuff with the people in the car, as much fun as that is, and and the stuff with the cops, like let's check this out. Maybe we can find some drugs. All this stuff is just slowing down what could could have been. I mean, because because I think the tricky thing with this episode is that I did feel the time on it a bit. It didn't. Yeah. It didn't like the like the the like the Super Scouts ones. I, I didn't particularly like those episodes, but I was never bored. No. Whereas this one, there were a few moments about halfway in where I was thinking, "Let's get to it." You're goofing around now. Let's get to it. And, and it's I, like it's like uh, Monty Python always said, you know, get on with it. You know, get on with it. Yes, get exactly. on with it. And should we have left the scene in? I th- I I feel I talked to them. I thought maybe we should have cut this scene. Should I? We have cut this scene. Get on with it. Um, uh, but but there there is um, you know, and they're they're turning invisible and they're hiding in bathroom toilets and and stuff like that. It's like, okay. You know, and they're getting they're they're not understanding the airport terminology. It's like they're not you you guys got bread. Well, we don't have bread, but we have money. <laughs> well, that's the other thing too is that they never went into any kind of bathroom confusion with these guys. Mm-hmm. When do these guys actually you know you know how do they take care of yes, their you know the when business. they eat something or business when they take care of their business. How and what way do they go? What is this? Yes. We never see this here. And you would think the confusion would ultimately land on Earth and say, well, you know, the human body has to, like, refresh itself a little bit there. You have to do this. You mm-hmm. know, like, you would think that that would become an element. And they could be able to, like, safely do it under network standards yes. without hinting to it too much here. Mm-hmm. You know, but uh, but you would think that, that you know, we'd say, like, geez, I wonder how they uh, – take care of everything else i mean it's like it seems like everything but we don't usually see this here and and once again uh what's his face boomers disappeared so i guess uh there's no there's no saving that i guess you know so (laughs) so so much for uh colonel boomer in this case yeah what what is toilet Mm. (laughs) exactly oh oh we don't know a john but what is (laughs) is it a moon or something (laughs) like that here (laughs) good god Um, so, uh, so, so I guess the thing with this episode, I think this one, unlike the Super Scouts where I got to the end of it and thought, oh, do I want to continue? I, I got to the end of this one and thought, okay, let's see where we're going to go next. So basically, I kind of, my final thoughts on this one, I would say would be this, okay? Will they make it to the Halloween party? Mm-hmm. Will Wolfman Jack show up in the flesh? <laughs> and will Troy and Dylan get to, get to stop 
what might become the start of the Cylon invasion on Earth. Join us again next time for part two of the Galactic 1980 Halloween, the night the Cylon landed. Dun dun! And we also get, on top of all that, we get some, um, they, they go to see this island Earth in the theater. And That's the, what that movie was. And the Cylons watch a scene from Abbott and Costello go to Mars. <laughs> so there you have it. Classic. Uh, influence so, somewhere. I said some kind of like pop culture influence mm-hmm. had to play circa that time, and also too this island Earth easy for them to get because universal. universal. And same with Mars was Abbott still go to Mars was oh, one of the universal. Oh yeah, that was films. another yeah. thing too. Is that once again these the Universal Sessionites have <laughs> appeared again doing their own version of Disco Inferno. Yes, kind of sounded pretty damn cool if you ask me. It sounded pretty good. I thought, yeah, yeah, it did. Yeah. So, um, so do you have anything else on this one? I mean, I give this one a definite, a definite, um, not, not 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 maybe a full thumbs up, but but a but a two thirds. Uh, it, it's it's kind of like here's hope that we're getting somewhere yes. is more. The, it's kind of like we did the fan service on this mm. one, fan service because we got the the fable garb out there by your command. We got out there. Mm. The Silence are actually talking yes. on that one. Where they take this now? Can we forego the 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 fan service and Will we see Reverend Snow again? All this yeah. and more next. Yes. <laughs> so, um, so if, if you don't have anything else on this one, what are you up to? Where are you online? What's going on? Well, my adventures have actually been kind of uh, in multiple directions, mm. but there's been a lot of big screen stuff. Some 70 millimeter, some 35 millimeter, some 16 millimeter. I uh, just recently covered a bit of the Tribeca Film Festival, which was actually mm. very exciting. It was great to be back there after a couple of years of being nice. not in person. Nice. Uh, which was um, got to see some wonderful stuff over there, including I mean there's I mean there's many movies I got to see over there. Uh, one called Maggie Moore's, which was very good. That uh, was a couple of Mad Men part of that one. Um, a Suitable Flesh was another one that's in the Stort Stort Gordon Miskatonic Barbara Crampton universe of sorts. But all, and that all is kind of encompasses of a lot of the big screen stuff I've been catching, which you guys could pay attention to, www.facebook.com slash Captain Bly, and can also note a little bit of it, too, here and there and everywhere on other, uh, other uh, social media platforms, such as Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd, where you could follow me uh, at Captain Bly 76 Excellent. Thank and you. Here's the other thing. Before we yeah. uh, we go on this one here, uh, and we close this uh, part one to lead us to part two at some other time, um, I noticed that we kind of got through uh, a whole number of episodes here, and we got past the number one fifty at one point here. So oh. it's kind of a, at, you know, maybe that might have been a few episodes ago, but I think mm. it is worth acknowledging that it's kind of gotten to this much uh, on the eventually super train mm. super number, if you will. Yeah. Oh, th- thank you. Yeah. It's a uh... It's, 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 you know, people, uh, you know, people laughed at me. They said you wouldn't make it past episode two. Do you try to get past episode 17? And now we're at 150. So, ha ha to you. And uh, we'll do another 150. Mm. We got plenty of shows to cover. My name's Walt. I work as night watchman here at Fred's Wax Museum to put myself through criminology college. It used to be very lonely until recently when I plugged in my crime computer. Suddenly, oscillating vibrations brought to life three legendary monsters. Dracula. The werewolf. And 
Frankenstein. Creatures hated and feared for centuries now determined to make up for their past misbehaving by fighting crime wherever they find it. Together, we're the Monster Squad. Hello everyone, it's Dan. Welcome to brand new old show. We're in 1976, September 11th, 1976 in fact. An episode of television written by Richard Bluell, directed by James Sheldon. And it is the show Monster Squad. Saturday morning show first, not counting the, the one-off special I did on Sabrina and the Groovy Ghoulies. First uh, Saturday morning show we're going to cover here. And I do have a guest here who's sorting through some papers. Would you introduce yourself, madam? Hi, yes. Uh, I'm just opened a piece of mail addressed to David Budnick. <laughs> That's me! Uh, Progressive... <laughs> date of loss. What is that? What the heck happened uh, there? Oh, this is when we got into a car accident. Oh, yeah. David Budnick. Oh, that's right. Yeah, David Budnick. And I hope David was okay. Oddly enough, they spelled my name correctly. <laughs> <laughs> Yours is way easier. Ah, uh, Well, there you go. At any rate, hi, it's Madeline. Hey, it's I'm good. good. sorting through some papers. She sorted through some papers. I happened to... Um, be watching the episode when she uh well she was sorting through papers first and then i watched the episode so she's going to join me she watched it um and she'll 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 join in when she joins in i um uh i um i liked it oh yeah sorry spoiler alert Spo- i liked it's, it it's it's fun i um I, i'm gonna do normally <laughs> normally i start off with uh my uh, my history with the show and that kind of thing but um what is your history with monster squad well, I watched it this morning, and I liked it. So that's her history with Monster Squad. I'll give mine in a minute. But the premise of Monster Squad is that, um, uh, and I, I, you, you just heard it. I just played it in the theme. It's um, it's a gopher from Love Boat plays a high school student or a college student who's studying criminology, and he has a crime computer in the basement of Fred's Wax Museum, and he brings the Frankenstein monster Dracula and Wolfman to life. You know, what made me a little bit, I found very poignant, was he's like, I used to be lonely. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Aww. That's right. Go he's for no. Yeah, yeah. He's I'm down. glad he found the love boat because you're probably never lonely there. No, you can't be none in the love boat. There's too much love going round. This is a different kind of a thing happening. Different I'm gonna, kind of love. I'm, yeah, monster I'm love. Yeah, and and the premise of this one is that the queen bee, played by Alice Ghostly, is getting all her other bees to team up and try to take over the world. She's got a, a hive of a, a group of South American killer bees flying up to uh to take over and um in the and it gets so far as a uh, there's a vote in the UN uh to turn over everything to her but and everyone votes yes please except one country and Lichtenstein then, good old Lichtenstein and I don't know you don't get a lot of Lichtenstein humor in Saturday morning cartoons in the 70s or do you you don't but it's it's a funny name all respect to Lichtenstein <laughs> it is a funny name just like moon over Miami <laughs> it's the funniest thing on the Denny's menu exactly and you could you could always hear people who haven't been in there before because they get handed the menu and within 30 seconds someone breaks into laughs titter titter <laughs> moon over it. Miami um, and so that's the premise of this, and it's the the, pre- the premise of the all thirteen episodes of the show is basically the same. There's some sort of uh, villain played by generally someone you'd recognize from seventies television, um, and they and the Monster Squad goes after him, and and um, they uh, there are a lot of uh, there are the there's occasional sharp joke, there are occasional you know bad you know just jokes for kids that you you know you've heard a thousand times you've grown at, but there's some good puns here and there, and they have a I love the computer. 
the crowd, yeah, the, the crowd computer. computer's great. If if you take in mind that this was developed by Stanley Ralph Ross, who was one of the main Batman writers, you could see exactly what's yeah. up to here. This is like like Batman had a huge crime computer, and the um the 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 Batcave was two sound stages opened up. That's how big this is. This looks like a corner. The wax museum looks like a corner of a set somewhere with some steps that clearly go nowhere. But that's part of the fun of it. It's, it's it does look like a creepy gothic set in, in a wax museum, and and it's a uh, it's very charming. Yeah, and, and from the start they do a nice job of distinguishing the characters. Mm. You know, they they have all different kinds of. Uh, uh, my my mind just went blank. They, uh, Dracula yeah. is very distinguished. Um, Frankenstein's yeah. a bit bumbling, and and the Wolfman's kind of. Um, I don't, I don't. He's the one who always gets it wrong. He's the one who always gets it wrong. He's a, he's a bit um in the end too. He comes down with like a towel in his hair from yeah. doing his, and he's almost he's a. I was gonna say he's a little camp, but then the show's camp. I mean that's that's a it's, bit. it's it's Saturday morning camp. Yeah. So it's uh but it but it's fun and that and then when you get to the bees, the bees they all, they speak in a lot of words that begin with B. And it's 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 a fun sort of it's a fun season three Batman set where when you look beyond the things that are the walls, you said beyond. Be, beyond the, uh-huh. uh, well, I can't be anything but me. Oh, that's right. Let it be. Um, uh, but when you look past the walls and things, there's nothing there. It's clearly they're like on a sound stage and they haven't put up walls around it. They they would do that in season three of Batman where a lot of this the. Um, criminal sets were just like these weird freestanding walls with nothing behind them can which we, I, can we take a quick moment to celebrate fred grandy's thick luscious hair oh yes he looks good is that a wet look is that a dry look i don't know it's just he's it's got just a, his look oh and alice ghostly yeah she's always she great pretty fierce as the queen bee I think. she does she i think she handles it well and they have a spelling bee because someone a, doesn't know how to spell it uh-huh. here he doesn't adhere yeah adhere is the word and that's great because he spells it here and kids learn how to spell it here yeah, so right. you can't say it's educational mm-hmm. yeah and they learn lots of words that have b in it like betrothed mm. uh, uh, they learn and others yeah and, and, and beyond <laughs> i said that one um the uh yeah and um it's 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 interesting uh well i find it interesting in that it's it's clearly when you watch it 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 doesn't feel like the first episode of anything it feels like we've been dropped in the center of the world and there'll be an episode much later that feels like a first episode which i think was the first one they they used to do this on saturday morning and sometimes on sitcoms where they didn't if they if if they got so popular that they would syndicate them, mm-hmm. they didn't want the first episode to look like a first episode of the last one to look like a last. So the opening credits explain the premise, and then you can watch any episode. I but like that. but there's one near the end. I won't say which one. I'll mention it when it happens. That clearly, when you watch the start of it, it looks like they're introducing people. This one, it drops you right in the middle. There's no introduction. It just it's just happening. And uh, I, I'm sort of surprised because I would have been right in the pocket for this show, mm-hmm. age wise. I mean, I must have seen it. You probably did. I mean, it, yeah, it ran seventy six, seventy seven. Yeah, unless I was too caught up in the uh, bicentennial thing. Oh, that's true. That's that was true. Pretty yeah. intense. Yeah, the tall ships were passing through yeah. Connecticut. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the, yeah, there's a lot of and, and I mean, I, I love it because it's clearly it's it's a show I categorize as cheap but charming. Totally. And it's a lot of fun when you were watching as a kid just to have the monsters there. I, I think the um, I, I I do wonder because some of the um, some of the other villains like there's a wizard, there's a witch, 
there's an evil toy maker, there's a guy who makes robots. To choose the bees first, I, I wondered why they... I mean, this was... Size 76, this, this, was this the year The Swarm came out? I think this is the year The Swarm... Um, I don't know when The Swarm came out, but, uh, I mean, it was a bomb. Mm-hmm. But it, it was a big summer... I believe it was a big summer movie uh, for Irwin Allen. Um, so maybe they, they did The Bees first because they thought... I always think of Romper Room. They had mm. a, a Busy Bee. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I think was the name. I have several postcards from Busy Bee. Busy because Bee. Oh, I was, wow. Awesome. I was a little bit obsessed with Romper Room, so I would write... <laughs> I would write quite a bit to the teacher. Yeah, and, and I think I send, remember. Didn't you? Did you have a letter from her? I, I, yeah. I have several, and my mother a cease had and to desist. Have a, <laughs> basically, my mom had to have a very gentle but firm <laughs> conversation with me about how it might be nice to let some of the other oh, children. Yes, I that. that sounds like your mom's the, the way your mom would tell you. Yeah, right. Some of the other children have a chance yeah. to write to Miss Karen. Yes, that's that's right. Yeah, yeah. and um and Busy Bee, of course, you immediately think of Best in Show. Well, oh, I yes. need my Busy and Bee. And I don't Where's think Busy it was Bee? even Busy Bee. I think I called them Busy oh, Bee yeah, now yeah. because of Best in Show. That was so great. <laughs> <laughs> but oh, uh, Busy Bee. but but there there are a lot of good gags in this. There are a lot of fun. the Lichtenstein bit I really like, and um, the bee the bee jokes are fun. Yeah. I mean, I will say this: if you want something. That's bullet paced. If you want something, you sit down and 24 minutes feels like five minutes. This ain't it. 24 minutes more or less feels like 24 minutes. But then, if you were a kid, who cares? You're hopped up on you're hopped up on syrup. But this, I didn't check to see when this airs, but aired. But usually the live action stuff aired later in the afternoon. So by this time, you've had five bowls of sh- sh- sugar crisp and L- Lucky Charms and probably Frankenberry, Count Chocula, and Booberry if you're trying to keep mm-hmm. in the. Um, I wonder if sales of Monster Cereals increased when Monster Squad was out. I think you'll have to look into that. Isn't there a new Monster Cereal coming out this year? Yes, a zombie. Is that right? Uh, I forget her name, but she's, yeah, there's a zombie. Mm. And I I think they're going to re-release all of them, although maybe not Yummy Mummy. For a second, I thought this said Frank K's sign. Frank I'm letting her look at these. These were were action figures that they were going to make. Mm-hmm for Monster Squad in 1977, but the show only ran for one season. And I will say this, um, just because the show just ran for one season, cartoons and Saturday morning shows did that all the time. Um, Hong Kong Fooey only ran for one season, but it went on forever. That I remember. Uh, Hong Kong, yeah, had, had 16 episodes and went on forever. Mm. And I th- I want to say the original Yogi Bear only ran for one season, really? but went on, went on forever. There, there are quite a few shows... That um, just just because of Saturday because the way Saturday morning shows work like this one is they would make it um, and they would make thirteen episodes and they would start showing them September eleventh and they would show them over the course of a year thirteen times four is fifty two so they would show the run for mm-hmm. uh, thirteen four times all the way yeah. through under the theory that kids of this age this was like the only time of the the week the kids had solely to themselves mm. like this like seven to ten or eleven in the morning on saturdays except unfortunate kids i know i my mom left us alone um to uh to enjoy yeah to enjoy and Which at, makes you wonder what your parents were doing then yeah oh, hey hey, now. hey the kids are in bed different kind of movie going on t- time for our canon marathon <laughs> oh my mom and william conrad <laughs> Uh, and who did my dad? And and the theory being that they would show them over and over again because yeah, kids kids would watch things over and over again. Sure. So so they why they would love to see new episodes, seeing one that they'd seen before, they were familiar with, was fun. 
Well, they were on to something because yeah. I think a lot of people do that now. Comfort viewing, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the production, the set, a little bit reminds me of early Doctor Who also. <laughs> it, it does have, um, except it's on film, whereas the Doctor yeah. was on video. Yeah, it, it does have that sort of... Um, that alien, and you get occasionally too, like in sixty Star Trek, and even Next mm-hmm. Gen. Occasionally, they would go on a planet that clearly is, you know, just some fake rocks yeah. with a backdrop. But yeah, this had like behind Dracula right there, like when Dracula yeah. first appears, like behind that's just a black curtain behind yeah. some other curtains. Sure, you know, and and but it's it's okay because you don't. I mean, behind that could this could be the Queen Bee's space exactly that she keeps. She keeps I imagine sealed a off. row of guard bees. Like, like look at look at the steps up to her. I mean, that's mm-hmm. like a riser, like. Could say like you'd find like yeah like a studio or something that they put some lights on or something but but the actors really commit to it they it's, do they're all having fun they are. doing it and it's and it's it's um it's it's just it's just it's just fun to watch and I think the three um, the three guys they have doing the monsters are good yeah the the guy who does Dracula and I'll, I'll talk more about him another time but he was. He did a lot of animated voices. He appeared a whole bunch of the seventies. He was on a he was on a bunch of game shows like Password and stuff. He would mm. pop up on them. Um, he played Dracula on a Fonz and His Happy Days Gang episode when the Fonz and the Gang. It was the one where Ralph Mouth turns into a werewolf. Um, he That's played Dracula in that. And Buck Cartalian plays the Wolfman. He was he was a he played a gorilla in Beneath the Planet of the Apes. He's the he's the jail uh, he's the jail. Um, prison guard gorilla in Beneath the Planet of the Apes and he's also in a great softcore movie called Please Don't Eat My Mother uh-huh. about a giant it's a little shop of horrors a rip off and he's in I, I have a vintage copy of his headshot and resume and on the resume it says will not play humans <laughs> that's that's Buck Listen, and, and, you, you, and you know him when you saw him he's a very he's a very um if I, th- I think you'd probably know his face when you yeah. saw him without. I mean, the he's no canon. No, exactly. But he's got his charms. Mm-hmm. And um, and the gentleman who plays uh, Frankenstein, I'm actually he he was in one other thing that I've seen him in. Um, he makes a good if if you um if you take him out of the Frankenstein outfit and put him in like um Shanana clothes, he makes like a guy who who looked good like a Shanana mm. kind of like a fifties gang kind of thing. I would guess he's from Philly or Pennsylvania somewhere. He's got that kind of. Uh... Oh, the, the accent? Or? Uh, yeah, the regionalism. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, overall, it's a fun episode. You get, to, you. I mean, the great thing is if you turn away from it for two minutes, um, suddenly you're watching it and uh, there are a bunch of bees running around and Frankenstein and the Wolfman are dressed as beekeepers, spraying steam at everyone. And um, uh, Dracula's covered in honey being chased by a guy in a bear suit. So it's it's one of those things where if you just wandered away for a minute to get another bowl of cereal and you came back, you hoped your brother or sister could explain to you what just happened. Um, but yes, but as I said earlier, I don't I don't know that the show was a failure because a lot of shows only. Have, I mean, one of my favorite all time Saturday morning shows is Martin Short show, the Ed Grimley oh, show. Yes. But and that only had thirteen episodes, mm-hmm. and that. It may have not got huge ratings, but if you watch it, it's a funny show. And I, oh, I, yeah. I think it's just a question of what I think. In order to get more than one season, because they could show, because uh, in the mid seven around this time, the Ghostbusters, the live action Ghostbusters with Bob Burns, Forrest Tucker, and Larry Storch, and even like Secrets of well, Secrets of ISIS did a season and then a few more episodes, and uh, and that ran for they just played that forever. That that was still in the early eighties. You could still catch ISIS. You could still see the Ghostbusters. And Ghostbusters, they only made 15 episodes. They just showed them over and over again for years. Wow. 
and and that's the way Saturday morning will work. So having thirteen episodes and only air for one season isn't isn't a badge of failure. It's a badge of simply we weren't Garfield, we weren't Mr. T, we weren't Dungeons and Dragons kind the of times. Thing. Yeah, exactly. So, but yeah, right now they're putting Drac in some um some honey. Yeah. And uh, that'll happen. And that he's. Will happen. And she laughs. She oh, laughs. does Alice Ghostly laugh? <laughs> and Alice Ghostly was in, I think, one of our favorite Cobras. Yes, the that's one, right. The one where she plays the woman who, uh, who, um, what was his name? What's Co- What's Michael Dudikoff's character's name? Um, oh, you know. Uh, what? Jeez, that's Chance? No. Um, uh, Chase? No. Something like that. Roger McGinty? Right. <laughs> it was the one where Mr. Dudikoff had to, uh, um, watch over her because she was a like a witness protection right. kind of thing. And didn't she have a thing with Dallas? I a think little, they flirted a, a bit. Flirtation yeah, with yeah, Dallas. Yeah. I mean, who wouldn't? We're only True. human. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But uh, but yeah, yeah. Alice Gosley was great in that. She was. What is this name? <sighs> Flaboygan. Fl- I'm gonna have to look it up. Yeah, yeah Cobra. Do. Cobra, because that was his car, and it was. Yeah, it was something like son ch- of a gun. We spent so much time with him. Chance or Chase or What's Spaz or something. <laughs> it wasn't Spaz. <laughs> it was Dallas. No, no, that was. No. The- <laughs> what was the gal's name? Daniel. R. Danielle. Budnick. Was it Danielle? Danielle. It Danielle. was Danielle. Yeah, it was Danielle, Danielle and Dallas and, and Michael Dudikoff. Oh, I could, I could just see it. I could see them. I could see them saying his name. Darn it, Dracula, Frankenstein monster. But but overall the the I mean I think this is a first this is a fun first episode it's got a lot going on oh yeah um, the uh, I love the wax museum set it's very charming and the uh, and the the bees are fun yeah they got some fun costumes it looks like an elaborately decorated children's party like yes. bee theme it's got yeah. lace crepe paper uh, decoration it almost some of the costumes yeah like with the bees and stuff remind me of almost like a Jewel Hallmeyer SCTV kind of yeah, thing yeah right where right. they're 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 a little. They're kind of a little, little better than you'd imagine, but they're also a little, they're a little camp. They're camp, a you bit. know. Um, yeah. And you know, and 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 you know, I and I'm gonna say who, if someone watches it and gets mad, the and says the honey bear is obviously not a real bear. Well, you're right. <laughs> I don't, I, I, I don't believe it is. And it's the same size as the bees. <laughs> so either they brought a very tiny. Yeah. Bear. Yeah, it's not, it's not explained exactly why the bees. These three bees are so much larger than the other bees because they bring in a baby, a scout bee, and it's bee sized. Yeah, well, they had a lot of honey. I guess so. Yeah, I guess the honey, the the honey makes them grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else with this episode. Yeah, a lot of um, Lichtenstein uh, jokes about uh, fleas and bees and bears. And uh, yeah, I think that's about it. It's, I think it's a fun opening episode. I think if I was a kid watching it, I probably definitely would have tuned in next time. Not just because I'm a, I'm a monster fan, mm-hmm. but because I think it does have some of that six, uh, 66 Batman spirit to it with some of the yeah. jokes. It's really fun. Yeah, yeah. And um, what uh, yeah. What was his name? What was his name? Uh, oh. st- staunch. No. No. St- uh. st- Edward Burroughs. And that was it. Oh my gosh, now it all makes sense. Gosh, what was his name? I'm going to leave all these pauses in, folks, while we're trying to figure out what the name is. You could yell out the name. Uh, uh, Are you just sk- not coming. Skip? Um, Danielle and... It wasn't a regular, it was like a... It was like a, like a yeah, like, like chair or... or um, table. Table. Billboard. Um, uh, Hieronymus... 
Danger. No. Um, Twinkie Jones. Twinkie Jones. That was it. Hey, Twinkie Jones. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but yeah, that's the first episode of Monster Squad, everyone. And and next time, next time, I'll, gi- I'll give you next time because um, this is. Uh, uh, I'll tell you where where I first watched this show. And um, uh, if uh, if she cared to join me, Madeline can return for the next one, which features I forget who it features. Mr. Mephisto. Ooh. Oh, isn't he? Aren't the, isn't that the guy who has our mortgage right now? <laughs> Close, <laughs> Mr. Cooper. We got Mr. Cooper. Yeah, you got to You feel you feel a lot of a security when you suddenly find out your your mortgage has gone from a bank to someone named just, Mr. Cooper. Just some dude in Des Moines who's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll take a chance. Yeah, why not? I'll do some mortgages. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> So <laughs> he only accepts payment in pennies. <laughs> so next Get up is, is Mr. Mephisto. Um, and, and sweets, where, where can we find you in the house <laughs> or uh, online? Uh, on or the couch, you going through some papers. Yeah, and um, uh, and and one thing to remember is that whenever they use zap Frank with electricity, it just makes him stronger. So when the queen bees run around zapping Frank with a stinger, it's just making him stronger. Just making him happier. Yeah. So, so I'll end the episode here, everyone. Scandal. Sca- scandal. That was scandal! it. Scandal. Yay! That is that was his it. Name? That was his name. Was scandal. Oh, yep. Yep. Thank nice. the Lord. Ah, that feels good oh. to remember. All right, everyone. Be good to yourselves. This is the end of episode whatever this is, the scandal episode. And uh, so now we're Monster Squad. The next episode, we're finishing up Lucan. And we're still uh, knee-deep in Galactica 1980. And we'll be meeting up with Mr. Mephisto, mortgage expert. (laughs) Talk to you next time, everyone. Be good. (laughs) Scandal! Scandal! Dallas and Danielle. Nice. (laughs) 